Amen. Good morning. How are you this morning? Okay, I'm cold, so you guys are going to have to be a little more energetic than that, just so I, I stay good. All right, Proverbs 19 is where we're going to be this morning. If you would go ahead and turn to Proverbs 19. Uh, as Palm Sunday is now upon us, really, I, I, we looked towards this and tried to figure out, okay, do we end Proverbs last week, or do we uh, kind of put another message of Proverbs on today and kind of look towards that? So typically today, we would celebrate that that space in the last week of Jesus' life where he entered into Jerusalem and that, that time where he came in with shouts of Hosanna and cries of praise where he entered in as everybody is celebrating, Jesus knew he was entering in to give his life as a sacrifice for you and for me. And so there is that, that moment as Jesus does, as he goes in, and then there's really that, that week uh, that John, the, the author John, the Gospel of John, writes uh, half of his gospel about, where Jesus just, as he is pointed towards the cross, spends the time with his disciples, his leaders, his friends, his community, knowing what lies in front of him, and really giving those last messages to them about what he would say to them before he dies is put in a grave and resurrected back to life. And so really as we look at Proverbs, as we've worked our way through this, we've had three different things. We've kind of looked at planning in January, we looked at behaviors in February, and we've looked at relationships, relationship to God, to ourselves, to family last week. And now I want to look at our relationship to the world, and so we'll stay in Proverbs knowing this is Palm Sunday, knowing that as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, that final entrance in, that he did so with a particular relationship to the world. And so if you're a note taker, this is on the app also, main idea today is this. It, it, oh, excuse me. There's a verse before that. That's why. Can, Matthew 28. These are the final words that Matthew writes about. It says, Jesus tells his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is called the Great Commission, right? As Jesus commissions his followers, his final words that Matthew records, he says, I want you to go and make disciples and baptize them, as we just talked about. We're going to do baptisms on Easter, right? And teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And so as we tie all this together between our relationship to the world in Proverbs and Jesus entering into Jerusalem on his mission to go to the cross for us, what we want to look at what Jesus has left us to do. So now... The main idea is this. Jesus calls us to live in such a way that others see Jesus in us and want to follow him as we do. So Proverbs would point us to the idea that Jesus calls us to live in such a way that others see Jesus in us and want to follow him just as we do. Will you pray with me and we'll get started. Jesus, as we take this week and we really reflect upon something we talk about every week, really, but with a unique focus and a myopic look to your death and resurrection on Good Friday and Easter Sunday, Jesus, I pray that today, the day in that calendar where you had turned and you had entered into Jerusalem, you came in humility, you came in with lots of shouts of joy, knowing 
that you were entering into the final days right before you would suffer and die. And as those around you worshipped and celebrated, they had no idea what it would cost for them to truly worship you, to be worshipers of yours. And so, Jesus, it's, it's that part of the year where we remember the endurance and the suffering, the punishment that you took because of our sin, and that we take this moment to reflect on that. And so, Jesus, before we get there, let us remember that our relationship to this world is that we are left here, just as Pastor Matt said earlier, that just as God had sent you, Jesus, Jesus, you have sent us into this world. And that we are to live in such a way that we reflect you, that we show you to others, but by our life, others see you. And that we would live in such a way that others would desire to follow you as we do. So Jesus, will you speak to us today? Will you allow me to fade somewhere into the background? And will you take center stage this morning and will you speak to us as we gather to hear your voice? Speak to us from Proverbs, please. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Proverbs 19, we're going to pick up in verse 6. Verse 6 says, Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. Now, I have to admit, when I first read through this, it, it really is speaking to the nature of other people. And as I first read through it, like, well, what happens when people are generous? Uh, people kind of flock to you or they ask you for gifts. And that, uh, really, that's how I read it. It says, many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to those who gives gifts. But as I press into this passage a little bit more, just asking, okay, where, where does this speak to us as followers of Jesus? How? How does this call us to act? And what I saw in Proverbs 19 is oftentimes what appears to be some disconnected proverbial truisms or proverbs, little statements, little pithy statements of wisdom that often seem disconnected, but really what this line of thought in Proverbs 19 is, is it speaks to our behaviors, our actions, and how they cause or how they have an effect on other people. And so as we, as we look at Palm Sunday, as we imagine ourselves pointed towards the crucifixion and the resurrection in this next week, if we can look at how we live and how that either reflects or does not reflect Jesus to others, and we can, we can course correct, we can look at our lives and know that our lives are meant to be a witness to Jesus, then we can see these, these behaviors or these truths, how they impact other people, and we can ask different questions about them for ourselves. And so as we do that, look, uh, let me read this to you again. Verse 6. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is friend to a man who gives gifts. All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but he does not have them. And so it says generous men or women tend to have more friends. And really that speaks to the character of the friends or the character of the people. That really it's kind of aiming us toward this idea that sometimes people will be around generous people not because they're truly friendly or because they're truly trying to be friends with them, but they think they can receive things. And really that's not to dissuade us from being generous. The Bible all throughout, especially in Proverbs, calls us to be a generous people. 
So how can we take that and understand that and realize how being generous may indeed be a benefit for the gospel? And when it says that many seek the favors of a generous man, and then a poor man, people run away and no one listens to him, what we can hear is those who are godly, those who are Christians, those who are following Jesus, those who are generous, oftentimes we have a different audience. Sometimes there are those that may be around us just if we're generous, and maybe their hearts are wrong, but if our hearts are in the right place, if we're being generous, maybe we can recognize that sometimes we have an audience that we wouldn't have had had we not been generous. That sometimes, even when their heart may be in the wrong place, even when someone may just be looking to take, but we still have an audience, maybe there's enough reason to remember that our generosity causes a place where we can be received favorably or in around people who are turned towards us. So our actions, for you note-takers, our actions in everyday life often shape how others respond to us. If we want to share Jesus with others, we will consider the effect of our actions. In February, as we looked at behaviors, we said even our speech causes reaction in others. And no matter if we're saying something true or if we're, or if we're saying something sometimes untimely, that we're responsible for the reaction of others for our speech. And in the same way, what we can see is our actions cause responses. And that doesn't... That doesn't negate that sometimes other people have wrong responses or wrong motives. But what it does is it allows us to understand that our lives can have an influence in a unique way. That when we really focus on how our actions affect others and how we portray Jesus, that we can, we can mold ourselves and shape ourselves so that we can gain an audience with others that they might know Jesus as their Savior. Verse 8 says this, whoever gets sense loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will discover good. So there's this word sense and understanding. And as we've worked through this, this is week number 12 in Proverbs. What we've seen time and time again are there are a series of words that Solomon uses that relate to wisdom or learning or understanding. And really what he's saying is godly living. That those who live in a godly way that those who listen to Jesus allow Jesus to shape their lives, they live in such a way, and that way results in wisdom. And he says this, whoever gets sense loves his own soul. He, keeps under, he who keeps understanding will discover good. And really, this just presses us back to the gospel. And in the, in the, simplest, in the simplest, basic way of the gospel is that Jesus that Jesus entered into human history because we had sinned against God. Because God who created us and loves us and designed us had said, this is how you work. This is how you function. This is how you're created to live. And when we have gone the other way, we've broken that relation. Sin has entered into and severed that relationship between us and God. But God, out of his love for us, says, I can't leave you just separate from me. I can't allow your sin and your decisions and your choices to leave you with no way to return to me. So, so God says, since you have run that way, I will run after you. 
and I will send my son into this world, and I I will give my son for you. I will trade my son, I will trade Jesus, my perfect and blameless son, who is both God and human, who is sinless and perfect, and I will... I will sacrifice him for you. And in that, just as Pastor Matt said earlier, that that Jesus was sent to redeem us back to God. And that as Jesus begins to redeem us and transform us and change us and make us more like him, we begin to look like the way God created us to live. And so God has given us simple truths. He's given us his word to teach us how that life should look that how our life should be lived out. And it says that whoever does that just begins to love his own soul. Like Life begins to be better as we submit to Jesus. As we allow Jesus to transform us, as we allow the Holy Spirit to mold and shape our lives, and we become less selfish and more like Jesus, less like our old self and more like this new creation that Jesus is creating in us, We find not only satisfaction in this life, but satisfaction in Jesus. And so Proverbs keeps pointing us back to this life of humility and obedience. Verse 9 says, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will perish. If If you've read through the Bible, this may sound a lot like the ninth commandment, right? Exodus writes this as it puts it in the midst of the Ten Commandments. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, most of us, as we're reading through this, and even if we've heard the Ten Commandments taught or we've studied them, as we read through this, what we see is we shall not bear false witness. That's what we really see when we read this verse, that we shouldn't lie, that everything we say should be honest, that we should be truthful, that we should not be dishonest. But look at what it really says. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You see, there's a relational dynamic in this. And I would submit to you that it's not just about your relationship to the truth, but it's equally or more about your relationship to one another. And then oftentimes when we read this, we see this idea of being truthful and honest, and that's good. But we miss the idea that our speech has relationship to other people. If you're a note taker, the ninth commandment is not just about your relationship with the truth, but also your relationship with others. It's not enough to think through the first half of the commandment about being honest and miss that our words directly have relationship with others. That when we speak, we're not really speaking just to be just, we're not speaking just to ourselves. We're not lying to ourselves. We're not being dishonest to ourselves. What we're doing is we're, we're speaking to another person. And to be dishonest or to bear false witness against someone is to injure the other person. And that's actually what Proverbs is saying as well. As it says, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will perish. Verse 10, it says, it is not fitting for a fool to live in luxury much less for a slave to rule over princes. Why do you think so many famous people that 
whether they be musicians or athletes or uh, whatever, I, I tend to think of, of people that have had incredible, immense success at life at a young age. Now, how many of those that do that end up blowing up and just kind of grenading later in their life or quickly in their life? Right, we can think of just a litany of rock stars and athletic stars and just other people who have found great success. I can think of Christian leaders who have found great success and it just imploded them. And here's what this verse says. It is not fitting for a fool to live in luxury. Now luxury would be not only great wealth, but great influence. A fool, it's not fitting for a fool to live in luxury, much less for a slave to rule over, over princes. And I know most of you, or at least many of you, and I know none of us kind of fit that all-star, rock star level of fame or, or anything in here, but we, we do oftentimes have more, more than we know. And so I would turn this around today. We can think of this in a context of people that have become famous, people that have made large amounts of money or have had large amounts of influence or have had a level of success and fame and the things that have been given to them. And we see that as luxury, lots of wealth, lots of influence. But really, as a follower of Jesus, what is the, most, what is the, most, what is the greatest wealth that we have been given The gospel. Like we have been given wealth that will extend beyond this life. We have been given a truth from the very God who created the universe. We have been given the truth. We've been given the love of God. We've been given the sacrifice of Jesus. We've been, we've been given the, the whole of the gospel applied to us through the Holy Spirit. We've been given that. And in that, we have been called to give that away, to go and make disciples of all the nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, Jesus says. We have been given an incredible wealth. And what can undermine that is our foolishness. Sometimes our lack of character can undermine the gospel. When we act in a certain way, when we act the fool, when we do things that others see and it undermines our message, when our mouth or our actions undermine our message, gospel opportunities, when we behave in foolish ways, we misrepresent the gospel to others. Verse 11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Do you see yourself as slow to anger? Are you quick-tempered? Are you one who is quick to forgive or quick to hold a grudge? Proverbs has many verses on this. Proverbs 12 also says this. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. We were in a community group last Thursday night, and we were talking about, uh, however we got into this conversation, we were talking about uh, the, the message from last week as it related to family, and we were talking about how we are oftentimes our best selves outside our four walls, that we are our, our best version of ourselves around others, and that sometimes when we re-engage in our home, 
that sometimes we come home and we don't give it our best. In fact, we're our worst version of ourselves at home. And so I think, and when I read this, I'm like, okay, so am I quick to anger? I don't, I don't think so. I, am I easy to forgive? I think I am when I think of my life outside my four walls. And I'm like, yeah, I think, I think, I think that's who I am. But then I go home. And then I realize how easily I'm angered and how foolish I can be and how slow I can be to forgive. And I'm reminded that sometimes we're our best selves outside our own home. And I don't know that we're being fake or we're being disingenuous. I don't know that we're, we're not just trying a little harder, but then we come home, I think as somebody said in our community group, that we just kind of relax a little bit. Just relax on how we act. And so in that relaxing, sometimes some of these things that are deeper down in us that are still true about us, no matter how we look outside, they're still there. Verse 12, a king's wrath is like the growling of a lion, but his favor, his favor is like dew on the grass. And we may not be kings or we may not have that level of ferocity of a lion, but oftentimes in our different places, maybe we're a parent and we have that authority in our home, or maybe we're a manager or an owner or a uh, a business person who has authority over others. Maybe we're a teacher in a school. We have a lot of that here. And we have authority over others. And so we, we should see this. A king's wrath is like the growling of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. That that wrath is a lot, but that favor, that favor quenches. That favor covers us. Healing. And so whatever level we have of, of authority or, or a place, a position like that. That verse applies to us. Verse 13, it says, A foolish son is a ruin to his father, and a wife's quarreling is like a continual dripping of rain. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. As we look at our family relationships, again, sometimes we forget that we are on mission, maybe when, uh, what was it Pastor Matt just said, like it was about 10-12 right then when he was doing announcements, and he said, we're going to be at 10-12 tomorrow, like we're going to be in 24 hours, right? And wherever you are, that's your mission field. If you're at work, if you're at school, if wherever you are, that's where you are. If you live in your neighborhood, that's your mission field. If, they, if that's who you are, great, that's your mission field. And we don't want to miss that that's all true, but we also don't want to miss that our home life is an incredible mission field, especially as parents. And I know there are some of you here that are children of non-believing parents and that you desire to have that influence on your parents and that you, and, and I know there are also incredible stories of those of you that have had that impact on your parents. And let us not miss that that is a mission field as well. That I have family members that don't know Jesus and that that ought to be a primary place where I spend my time in prayer and where I live my life for the sake of the gospel. If you didn't get the message last week, I want you to hear this, and I would love to have you go back and listen to that message. Pastor Matt did a great job, but his main idea last week was uh, something we spent a lot of time on. It's just, it, was, it was simply this. If Jesus is Lord of your heart, then Jesus is Lord of your home. As simple as that may sound, we spent an evening in our community group, really diving into that. If Jesus is Lord of your heart, then Jesus is Lord of your home. 
Verse 15, slothfulness or laziness cast into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. I wanted to kind of, I wanted to take this and really just, there's a lot that could be said there. There's, there are implications financially. There's implications on your work life. There's implications here in a relationship that slothfulness is never a healthy thing. But I want to see this in relationship to the gospel, in relationship to our loving the lost, especially as it is that time of year where people are more willing to come to church with you than at any other time of year. What if we're... What if we're slothful or lazy as it relates to the gospel? I would have to say this, and I know that we all, I'm sure, bar none, all of us have been there, in that place where we think the gospel is something we can get to later, and that now we can relax, and that there will always be that opportunity. And I don't want to sit up here and kind of like give that, oh, well, we're not guaranteed of tomorrow. What if you die tonight? It's not like that, but there's often that time where we approach it like we have more time. And that's often not always true. But even if there is more time, even if that is true, laziness is antithetical to the gospel. Just listen how the author, Paul, as he is writing, listen to the way he speaks of the gospel. Paul in Corinthians says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them and its blessings. Do you not know that in the race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. He likens it to a race. He likens the gospel and the love of others to sharing his faith, to all the things that he is doing to see the kingdom expand in his lifetime. He says it is like a race for them that he runs, and he runs like there's only one winner. Laziness is antithetical to the gospel. He says this again in the the next passage. In Hebrews, not Paul, but also the New Testament author of Hebrews says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight And sin, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews writes this to us saying, listen, run. If anything is hindering you, get rid of it. Run, run like you're in a race. Run remembering the endurance of Jesus. Remember how Jesus endured such shame, such scorn, such pain at the hands of sinful people. Remember him. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Remember Jesus and run. Put the same level of energy into the gospel that he did for you. That others might see him through us. None of this as a way to achieve his love or a way to enter into heaven. None of this. This is a response knowing he already loves us, knowing he's already done everything necessary for us, that the cross has already satisfied our sin, that the resurrection has, always, has already guaranteed us new life, that his ascension, his seated on the throne, he is pouring out his spirit on us. And so as a response to that, we should run. As a response to that, we should live as if the only thing that truly matters is eternity. And that doesn't mean we don't go to work. Work is a great place not only to provide food for your family, but to meet other people that don't know Jesus. And the schools, if you're a student, is not, it's a great place for your education, but it's also a great place for you to know people who don't know Jesus and to put in energy and put a level of commitment and faithfulness into the thought that others around you don't know Jesus. And it doesn't have to just be about heaven or hell, though that is true. 
But it can just be about the fact that when hard times hit your loved ones, your friends, the students in your class, whoever it might be, when hard times hit them and they don't have Jesus to lean on, where will they turn? Even in this life, they need a place to go. Run as if you're in that race. Run if it's, uh, as if it's up to you to tell the world about a God who loves them, about a Jesus who died for them, about a resurrection that gives them new life, about a spirit who redeems them. Run. Verse 16, whoever keeps the commandment keeps his life. He who despises his ways will die. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. He says, listen, I I want you to remember that obedience is a piece of the puzzle, that you doing what I've called you to do, Jesus would say, is a part of your witness to the lost. I love that Solomon says that he who lends to the Lord, who are generous to the poor, lends to the Lord. Like You could be generous to the poor with no anticipation of receiving anything back, and God says, that's enough. That you just doing, you do that for me, that's enough. You don't need a return. That you do that, you are generous with others because God says, I've been generous with you and I will care for you. And remember, even where we began, a man who is generous often has an audience that is different than a man or a woman who is not. And even in that, there's a reason to be obedient, to be generous, so that the ears of those who don't know Jesus may be listening. Verse 18, it says, discipline your son for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. I love that verse. And if you're the father of a son or a mother of a son, that's an odd verse to read. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Now, I hope my parents were reading this when I was young because I'm not sure there was a lot of hope. But that second verse probably saved my life. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. I'm glad I didn't get put to death for some of the things I did as a kid. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. Somewhere in there is a verse that is about disciplining and loving children, and not just writing them off, but believing that discipline will lead them in the way that they should go. That he says there is hope. You know, my story is that story. I was exposed to the gospel that my parents came to faith when I was like eight years old. My stepmom did, and then shortly after my father, and and I didn't live with them. And so when I visited, I went every other week, and we would be taken to church. And then I got kicked out of my house at a young age. I was about 13, to sent to live with my dad, and I made it about two years before he kicked me out too. And so I've been on, basically on the streets since I was 15. And I was in a lot of trouble But there are things that I heard about the gospel when I was just a kid, even in utter rebellion, thinking I was not listening, that stayed with me for a lifetime and met me in my darkest hours later on. If you're a parent, as Solomon says, there's hope. Don't kill your kid, there's hope. Listen to the advice, to advice and accept instruction, that you may gain wisdom in the future. Knowing that this is our last time together in Proverbs, I I wanted to remind you of just the audience that Solomon has put forth. Solomon gave us really four primary hearers, four primary categories that we can fall into. 
One is the young, right? When you're young, you don't have much expectation. You're young, and the expectation is that those who are around you when you're young will help you to mature. The second is the simple, and and simple is is like being ignorant of something, that in some areas we are just simple of things. I made the joke earlier when we were talking about that, like when it just comes to things like quantum physics or science, just a lot of things, I'm just very simple. They're not in my wheelhouse. Not that I couldn't learn them, it's that I haven't learned them. And then there's the wise who have taken their learning and they've understood it and they've placed it into their life and they begin to live it out and that's who the wise are. And the other category commonly called the fool is one who has been given wisdom and ignores it. They're not young necessarily and they're not simple. In fact, they've been given instruction. And it's up to us each time when we hear, when God gives us instruction, when God pours out wisdom to us, we can either leave here more wise, more obedient, more submitted to Jesus, or we can leave here and be a fool. And that's up to us that we can apply this to our lives or we can ignore this and we can keep causing the pain in our lives that keeps coming back. Or we can be wise and turn, become obedient. It says, listen to the advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Note on that would be be teachable. Do you have that, Marsha? Be teachable. Being teachable is for your own benefit, and it benefits others and allowing you to be someone who can be used by God to spread the gospel. Be teachable. Being teachable is for your own benefit. But it also benefits others and it makes you useful, allows you to be pliable, allows you to have God shape you and mold you so that you can take his message to others. And that really brings us back to where we began just at the beginning of this message with Matthew's words or Jesus' words in Matthew, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, again, it doesn't say go and make converts. It doesn't mean go tell, Jesus, tell people about Jesus Hope they say a prayer and then you're all done. It says go and make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them, teaching them, leading in them and how Jesus has called us to be. That moment of baptism, which we're going, to, we're going to talk about on Easter Sunday, is that moment of identifying with Jesus' death and his resurrection, that we get to enter into his death and that our sin and our flesh gets to die and that we, when we come out of the water, that we come out with new life. That we go, spiritually, we go from death to life, and we get to celebrate that together with baptisms. But the thing that we can do, the place where we can participate this Easter, knowing that we can't do anything for our own salvation, Jesus has done that. But what we can do is invite others along with us. We can take those folks that we love, those people that we know, that we love, that we care about, that we work with, that we go to school with, our family members, our loved ones, and we can invite them to hear about the sacrifice of Jesus, to hear about the love of a God who created them. I want to leave you with just two more things from Proverbs. You can unpack these in your community groups, but it says, better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Better is a neighbor who is near. Whoever God has placed you around, that is your mission field. That goes back to where we said, just where will you be in 24 hours? That's what God has given to you. Better to be a neighbor who's close than a brother who's far away. Next one. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Will you live in such a way 
that your life reflects Jesus to the world? Will you live in such a way that when people see you, they don't see somebody perfect, but they see somebody who is reflecting the light of Jesus to the world. As you are living your life, the life God has given you, the privilege that you have been given in Christ to be a son or a daughter of God, as you are living that, will you do it in such a way that those who don't know Jesus yet will see Jesus and they will want to follow him because of you? Let's pray.